Join EY and global C-suite leaders for the EY CFO Summit, The Future Reimagined, on the 7th of April from 9 to 11.30 a.m. Register today at ey.com slash ie slash CFO Summit. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. The Central Bank of Ireland this week issued its latest economic bulletin with warnings on inflation and a decline in economic growth. Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times will join me shortly to discuss the headline numbers. In the second half of the show, I'll be talking to entrepreneur Frankie Sheen about the Pendulum Summit, which returns later this month as an in-person event following a hiatus during the pandemic. But first to the economy and the Central Bank's latest assessment on inflation, growth and other pressures being faced by the government. Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times, join me for this segment. Here we go. Now, Cliff Taylor, thank you for joining Inside Business. The Central Bank of Ireland have its latest quarterly economic bulletin out. And I suppose continuing a, a trend from other reports we've had recently, uh, warning on inflation and also trimming back its growth forecast for this year, given the external factors um, that are currently at play, including the uh, war in Ukraine, obviously. So let's just go through the numbers. The inflation forecast for the year as a whole is uh, 6.5%, uh, but they think it's going to peak at 8% uh, during the summer. And they've trimmed their growth forecast back from just over 7% to 4.8%. Was it, Were there any surprises in this for you, Cliff? No, I don't think so, Kieran. I mean, as you say, growth forecast down, inflation forecasts up. Like in very rough numbers, they in their last quarterly bulletin, the quarter one bulletin before... Russia invaded Ukraine. They were talking about 7% growth in the domestic economy this year and uh, around 5% inflation. And now the numbers have switched around, if you like. So we're talking about inflation uh, not far off 7%, depending on which, whether you use the EU measure, the Irish measure, and growth in the, in the domestic economy now down below 5%. Um, so it's a big change. And I think reading through the bulletin uh, and, and understandably, and in line with other forecasters, the central bank, there are warnings all over the place that a lot of this is tentative, uh, that we really don't know what's going to happen with uh, oil prices, gas prices, uh, the business confidence, the European economy, all the things that are vital to our economic fortunes are up in the air, really, have been thrown up in the air by uh, uh, by the war in Ukraine. And they do some, the, the bank uh, do some kind of rough calculations. They say, you know, what if, oil and gas prices were a bit higher and what if they were way higher? Uh, and not surprisingly, you know, there are kind of plausible scenarios in which inflation might average 8.5% this year, uh, you know, where the worst to happen in terms of oil and gas prices. And equally, that would have a another bang to uh, to economic growth, which might in that scenario fall below 4% or even lower. And, uh, you know, the report then full of warnings about <clears throat> it being very difficult to... Uh, work out what the knock-on effects of these things might be uh, as the year goes on. So a very uncertain outlook, I think. Um, top line, economy still likely to grow as things stand, but slower than had been expected. Uh, and, and and there are risks. In, in the economic jargon, the risks are on the downside. In other words, it's more likely to be worse than it is to be better. Uh, barring a quick solution to, to, to the war, which doesn't look likely at this stage. Yeah, and yet, Cliff, if you look at the Q1 exchequer figures, which are just coming out now, uh, I mean, government revenue is absolutely bobbing along. It's 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 going gangbusters. Yeah, it's flying. Amazing, actually. Tax revenue is way up at the same time last year. And you're right, I suppose that's largely historical. Uh, 
in terms of uh, the momentum that the the economy had coming into the the first quarter of this year. And I suppose there's a few particular things then uh, underneath those figures. The first is the continued um, strength in corporation tax revenues. Uh, I think there are some one-off factors in the in the first uh, quarter exchequer returns, but nonetheless, the corporation tax figures are really strong. Encouragingly, income tax figures are strong. Uh, job numbers are going up and uh, wages are going up as well. And VAT has got a really uh, significant boost. And, and one of the reasons why that has happened is because prices are going up. And if prices are going up, the take the exchequer gets from VAT, particularly on fuel, is 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 bound to go up as well. So that could be a bit of a short-term thing, as because fuel use is going to fall uh, as the year goes on, and the government is hoping or thinking it might cut the VAT rate as well. Um, so we have the department warning that uh, the first quarter figures may be flattering things a bit, but nonetheless, there's no doubt that they are strong and. That's good because it does give the exchequer finances a bit of leeway going into the second, uh, going into the rest of this year, and that's that's very important given given all the uncertainties that we face. Yeah, sure. Now, a warning from the central bank at the same time that salary increases across the economy, uh, they don't want to see this occurring. That it's important that um, wages don't follow prices um, and they don't become interlinked, and we get this spiral where one is chasing the other. And yes, you, you know. Given that inflation is running, whatever the figure is, you know whether it's six and a half percent for years as a whole, if it peaks at eight percent during the summer, that kind of level of uh, inflation and the huge inflation we're seeing in gas and electricity prices. I mean, it's inevitable that uh, wages are going to have to go up for people to be able to afford all of this. And we have a situation at the moment where the government is beginning to talk to the unions about public sector pay. What do you expect to happen? Yeah, I mean, there's no question, but that wages are going up. Wages are going up anyway. I think what the central bank is worried about is that wages start to take the rate of inflation as a marker and the whole thing gets uh, gets built in then, a higher rate of inflation gets built in. And uh, Nothing worries poor central banks more than wage price spirals. Uh, you know, they still have nightmares looking back to the, to the 1970s, looking at the history books of what happened back then. And it's kind of ironic, you know, the, the problem central banks have had for the last decade near enough, uh, certainly the last seven or eight years, has been that inflation has been too, too low, that there's been no inflation. And the central, the European Central Bank has bent over backwards to try and create a bit of inflation across the European economy and has, has failed. But now, it's, uh, but now it's come roaring back. What do I expect to happen? I expect a lot of difficult negotiations between uh, employees and employers, between unions and employers. I think... Looking at the public sector wages, what the government will try and do is delay things as much as possible. Number one, to see how, to see how things pan out. Uh, so I think we could see these talks drag on and uh, for, for quite some time. And sec- but secondly, I think it's inevitable that there will be some concession. And the only question really is what shape that concession is in. You know, do we see, for example, there are due to be increases towards the end of the year. Do we see those increases becoming more significant? becoming higher than they would, would otherwise have been uh, I, I think that's that's probably what will happen but the government will try and keep them below the headline rate of inflation arguing that look inflation's been very low over the last while and employees have done relatively well and, and inflation's hopefully likely to fall next year and the year after um, and, and that wages can then catch up over a period of time but I think the employers public and private sector will hold out against 
offering big increases that are going to match the inflation rate. But you could, we could well see wages of 4 or 5% on average across the economy this year, I think. What are they going to do on the cost of living side of things, Cliff? Because uh, clearly people who are on low incomes or people who are on fixed incomes, you know, uh, who are retired, etc., are in a really tricky situation where they're facing huge increases in the cost of living. There's not an awful lot they can do on the income side. So what, what's the government going to do? We've already had a package of measures, but more is going to be needed. Yeah, it's, it's a really tricky one for them. And uh, kind of it's one of these things where no matter what you do, it's, it's it's not going to be enough. No matter what you do, you're kind of they're chasing the game, if you like. If if the war continues and and say there's some disruption to supply and prices go up even further, so politically it's a really uh, it's a really really tricky one for them. I think the first thing they're going to do if they get clearance from Europe is something on the VAT rate, VAT on fuel of thirteen point five percent. You could see that go down maybe to uh, to the to the nine percent rate, uh, and that would. I suppose at least um, stop kind of the state taking more and more in terms of VAT as prices go up and would be a bit of a help to consumers. But I think the other thing is the thing you put your finger on there. What are they going to do for uh, less well-off households, fuel po- so-called fuel poor households, uh, households that are really struggling uh, because of what's happening now and also because of the general increase in prices. So I think it's inevitable that that there's going to be you know, more measures on the things like the fuel allowance and uh, more measures on social welfare. The Taoiseach has hinted at social welfare measures aimed at uh, families, uh, families with children. Uh, so, so I think all those things are going to come into the mixer probably fairly soon. So I think the only question is, you know, do they hang on and do, so the VAT cut comes quickly, if you like, if they get clearance, do they hang on and to the, to, to the budget to try and do the other things heading into next winter when the pressure could be building on households again or are they forced to move a bit sooner? Uh, at this stage, I, I, I would bet that they might be forced to move a bit sooner but we'll, it's going to depend on how prices uh, prices go up and down. And of course, remember, I suppose that household bills, energy bills do fall off a good bit during the summer so the real pressure time could be coming into next autumn. Yeah, and then, of course, we have the situation with the refugees coming in from Ukraine and all sorts of estimates. We don't know precisely how many are going to come here or how long they'll be with us, but some estimates suggesting that up to €2 billion Euro is going to have to be found um, to support them. Where's that money going to come from? Yeah, um, it's going to come, I suppose, at the end of the day, from higher taxes or more borrowing, like 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 it always comes from. Um, the government has has a good bit of leeway in this year's budget. So, and the exchequer figures today, I think, underline that. So I suspect that they're probably content enough about um, about adding in, you know, significant enough extra spending this year uh, and still saying, staying roughly within the budget uh, parameters. <clears throat> but I think what will really worry them now is next year and how this is going to feed into uh, the, the budget for 2023 uh, as you say, it's it's completely unpredictable how many refugees are going to come here, and and just as significantly how long they're going to stay for. Uh, it's one thing, you know, having to uh, to look after people for 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 the sake of argument six months, uh, when I suppose temporary accommodation, you know, is 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 a reasonable outcome. Uh, whereas if you, if you look at a period longer than that, you're looking at some kind of more permanent permanent uh, permanent housing. Uh, if people are going to stay here uh, for the long term. So, you know, I think a lot of really tricky issues for the government there. But 
I think enough room in the budget this year, considering the money they also put aside for COVID, can be redirected. But I think the real issue is next year, you know, you'll have a full year cost then of of looking after however many refugees are are still here, plus all the other um all the other um pressures on public spending that we know about, housing, health, climate change, all of those things, plus the possible or likely impact on revenue of a further slowdown in economic growth if the war grinds on and you know this thing gets uh, gets nastier in an, in an economic sense. So that's what will worry them. I think this year will be all right, but looking towards next year could be tricky. I think we're heading into a kind of a a tricky and possibly quite divisive economic period. I, I know there was a lot of rows during COVID about what was done and what should be done, but in terms of the public finances, the doll was probably roughly on the same page and the money was there to borrow at cheap rates. Now I think there's going to be a lot of argument in the doll about what should and should not be done. We're already seeing it already, for goodness sake. And money's getting more expensive to borrow. You know, not outrageously more expensive, but um, the cost of borrowing for the state has gone up by by one percentage point already this year. And I, odds on that by the end of the year, it's you know it's going to be two percent or higher. I would have thought. And what about the European Central Bank? What's it going to do on interest rates? Ah, uh, they're going up, Kieran. I think. Um, I think that argument is. I think that argument is pre- is nearly over. Pretty much over. So, I mean, the first thing first thing to say is there's, there's been some debate in Ireland, uh, including, uh, I think, the Tánaiste, Leo Varadkar was out of it saying, look, the central bank, the ECB shouldn't increase interest rates. They should instead withdraw their support for government bond markets. Now, withdrawing support for government bond markets sounds uh, a little less harmful, I suppose. But in reality, what it means is that longer term interest rates and borrowing costs are going to go up uh, because at the moment, anyone buying an Irish government bond has been able to uh, say, look, if I want to get rid of this in three months, six months, I can sell it to the ECB. That leeway is not going to be available anymore. Uh, and we're already seeing bond rates going up in anticipation of that and the spreads between Irish rates and German rates and rates in every other country and German rates widening as well. Uh, so I don't think that's an easy an easy solution, but I think that's going to happen. And I think there's no doubt that we'll see some increase in ECB rates later this year. And maybe it'll just be the deposit rate which is the rate um, the rate the ECB gives uh, banks uh, for their overnight deposits. Uh, again, that knocks on at the interest rate environment, starts to push up interest rates for uh, for borrowers, variable rates could start to rise. I think we'll, we'll probably see fixed rates start to rise in the months ahead. And the real hit then would come when they increase their main rate, their main refinancing rate. Markets had expected that would be next year, but you couldn't rule out that being the end of this year either. That's the thing that knocks on to uh, increases in tracker mortgage rates and, and rates right across the economy. So I think given the inflation outlook and the fact that it's it's starting to build into wages and, 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 and into wider prices, the ECB is going to have to move. Uh, the only question is going to be how, how how much. They're not under the same kind of pressure as the, as the Fed in the US where inflation is soaring and there's much greater inflationary pressures and much greater pressure in the labour market, but they are under pressure and I think they're going to move. Yeah, and I just wonder what the knock-on impact uh, would be for something like the hospitality sector here. I mean, if people are going to be hit with high inflation, if their mortgage rates are going to nudge up, uh, etc., you know, it might deter them from going out for a pint on a Friday evening or from uh, having that uh, meal out with the family on a Saturday or Sunday. Uh, doing the type of things, maybe the holiday break, uh, the long weekend away, that type of thing, uh, which obviously is very important for the domestic hospitality sector. And, of course, we know that the air travel 
is going to be is going to continue to be tricky this year and the issues at Dublin Airport aren't helping. So it's a it's a challenging time ahead, I would have said, for the hospitality sector, particularly as the government's uh, grants that have been in place in the pandemic are going to be withdrawn. Yeah, I think it's a very uh, tricky time ahead for the hospitality sector. I was talking to somebody uh, involved in one of the business uh, business representative groups this, this week and he was saying, look, uh, the problem is that this is cumulative now uh, the hospitality sector and the the exposed consumer facing sectors of the economy have had two years uh, of of opening and closing already uh, and now they're facing uh, they're facing a situation where the the income or the spending power of their of their punters if you like has been cut further and already we're seeing you know we're seeing this like restaurants that would have been open seven days a week before or open five days now. Uh, coffee shops are closing at, you know, four in the afternoon rather than six. Uh, the sector is, isn't, you know, isn't fully open yet uh, and does face this, this threat to, uh, to, to spending. And I think also a threat to, uh, to inward tourism as well, as you say, from, uh, from uh, the problems on travel. Maybe not so much from, uh, from Europe, uh, but if you're looking at the perspective of a U.S. tourist, um, looking at the cost of, of getting to Europe now, uh, looking at the whole situation with Russia, uh, looking at, the, at all the uncertainties about that and the fact that COVID is, is still a big issue, you know, you would think that transatlantic tourism is... If, it's not going to be a write-off this year, but it's not going to be back to anything like it was. I mean, you've heard the tourism sector, I think, talking about maybe getting back to what, 60% this year, 70% of, of normal, uh, of 2019 levels, that'll be, that'll be a good result, I think. Whereas a few months ago, we might have hoped for, we might have hoped for better. So very unfortunate, I think, for the consumer-facing sectors of the economy. As you say, punters are going to be thinking twice now before they, before they spend their money. All right, on that cheery note, uh, Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times, thank you for joining Inside Business. Thanks. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be speaking with Frankie Sheen about the return of the Pendulum Leadership Summit. Back in a few moments. Over recent years, finance leaders worldwide have been challenged to reimagine their organization's future path amidst unprecedented change. The EY CFO Summit, The Future Reimagined, brings together a distinguished lineup of global C suite speakers to demystify major issues that impact finance leaders of today while providing tangible solutions for tomorrow. Register today and join us on the 7th of April from 9 to 11.30am from the comfort of your own home at ey.com slash ie slash CFO Summit. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. The Pendulum Leadership Summit returns later this month as an in-person event after a break during the COVID-19 pandemic. The Irish Times is a media sponsor for the event and I was joined by its founder, former Irish rugby player Frankie Sheen, to discuss the lineup of speakers and the challenges of operating in the pandemic. Uh, Frankie Sheen, uh, thank you for joining us. Now, the Pendulum Summit is back as an in-person event for the first time in a couple of years, and you've got a, an impressive lineup. Uh, Steve Wozniak, I see, co-founder of Apple, is uh, one of the speakers lined up. You have uh, Alistair Campbell, who people will be familiar uh, with, the explorer, Sir Ronald Fiennes. Um, you have Sir Steve Redgrave, the British Olympic medalist, Chris DeBerg, Sean Edwards, um, who is a rugby player like yourself, and indeed uh, many others. So, 
Uh, tell us how you're getting on with the with the summit. How's how's it going so far? Thanks very much, Kieran. Yeah, you said you, you said two years, but it's actually twenty seven months since our last in person event. Uh, it sounds like a confession box here, no? But we're uh, yeah, it was um, it, it it was it was a long time waiting, and we did do a virtual event actually at the end of uh, November twenty twenty, and you know what? That served a purpose at the time, and. It was the right thing to do and people got a lot out of it. And I think back then, if you look back, I think virtual events were a bit of a novelty. And uh, in fairness, it, it it went well considering. But I think then I think it kind of fell off a cliff a bit and people were just getting uh, so sick of screen time because all the Zooms and the Teams meetings that were going on there. So uh, we committed then to saying, right, let's we're going to get back in person and we will keep that, have a live stream uh, experience available. So uh, so in, in three weeks' time, April 26th and 27th, we are uh, back in person at the RDS after 27 months. So we're super excited about it. Uh, we're, I suppose, uh, delighted now it's the RDS because there's super high ceilings, lots of ventilation. So we're going to, we're just going to limit the numbers uh, for this particular one to probably 50% of what the normal capacity would be. Uh, we feel the numbers are after going way down now anyway, but just to be sure, to be sure, and making sure that from a healthy and safety point of view that everybody is okay. So we, we're, uh, yeah, we're just, we're, we're all guns blazing now to make sure that we fill the, the 50% uh, capacity and also to attract as many people as we can uh, in the live stream if people want that. And uh, we've an amazing kind of a, a, a networking app that uh, can connect people from the live stream to the in-person as well. So the technology is fantastic, you know. So, so it's, all, it's going well, busy, busy at the moment. Yeah, and good to hear. I'm just wondering, Frankie, is there any nervousness uh, among your audience or potential audience about uh, getting back at an in-person event? Because we're hearing about, you know, rising COVID cases around the world and the Omicron variant seems to be a lot more transmissible than previous ones um, and, you know, still causing a lot of disruption. Are you going to ask people to wear masks even coming into the venue or how are you going to organise that? I think we were a lot more tentative maybe 10, 12 days ago, and I think it hit it hit the peak. And if you looked, I think the numbers were 22,000, and they, they've dropped now to, I think, about 5,000. But you could even see that it's off the radar, even in the news and stuff. People have moved on. I think that, um, I, I think, look, if anybody, if, you know, if my parents or anyone like that, if they're nervous about anything, I think you know they should just stay away from sort of uh, events at this stage. We'll follow the government guidelines, whatever they are at the, at the time. Uh, but at the same time, you go to the pubs and and matches and concerts, and a lot of them seem to be packed, and people are happy enough. And and look, you're always mindful of of uh, the hospitalizations and different things like that. But you just, I think, in fairness, you have to give the government a bit of credit at this stage. They've handled it well, and. Um, and, and they're on top of it, and I think this is going to be something we're just going to have to live with from now on. So, uh, so, so we we will. Uh, so yeah, I definitely about ten, twelve days ago, I think people were more, but I think in the last uh, week or so, it, it's clear the numbers have fallen off a cliff now. So uh, we're in a good place, and by the time the event comes, we'll be we'll be uh, in a great place. As an event organizer, Frankie, how do you go about securing somebody like Steve Wozniak as as one of your top speakers? Yeah, I think it, it helps when you develop a track record, Kieran, and these guys are extremely busy, so they're not all chasing money, but that's their currency ultimately to, I suppose, separate the requests in a lot of ways. They they will do give their give back programs, I'm sure, but so we, we, we write the checks ultimately, we get onto them, uh, we have a good track record. 
Um, we're, we're now the, the world's number one leadership and self-empowerment summit. So very often a lot of the big names and the big name agents are seeking us out as much as anybody else to ask us, are we interested? And and that's ultimately how it goes. Someone like Steve Wozniak, I've been chasing him for years. Uh, if you remember, we'd, we'd Richard Branson uh, a few years ago and Branson's fantastic, he's the typical entrepreneur. But what I love about Wozniak is he's kind of the inventor entrepreneur, entrepreneur kind of by default. And I think that's that's really going to appeal to different people and how how he carries himself. And uh, I mean, you know, could would Jobs have been who Jobs was without Wozniak? Absolutely not. I mean, he could be uh, and arguably is 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 the world's greatest living uh, inventor, if not the greatest inventor of all time. You know what I mean? And what he has done. So uh, so just we're, we're very unique to, to to get these these people over and. They know us, we know them. And sometimes, for example, Wozniak, I've emails going back to his crew from five years ago. So that's how long sometimes it takes to kind of land some big names like that. You know, So he's a huge name. And another massive name is, is a guy, Les Brown. And it, it can be frustrating for us, Kieran, at this end. He is the, I'd have him up there with Tony Robbins as the greatest motivational speaker in the world. He's never been to Ireland, never done Ireland, was never going to do Ireland. And we're able to bring him here and he is going to be amazing. I mean, if you just Google Les Brown motivational videos, all those top best motivational videos on YouTube are all his. You know what I mean? He's the man. So uh, he's he's going to be amazing. But sometimes then you're writing these big checks and people are like, Les who? Who's he now? And you're like, oh, my God, you're you're pulling your hair out about it, you know. But uh, but the, look, that's what we do. And uh, and we just in fairness to most of our Delegates over the years, they they know we go all in. We go all in and we get the, the best of quality, uh, including, you know, we often bring in one or two of our own Indigenous speakers then as well on top of it. So how big are the checks that you're writing, Frankie? Well, look, I mean, I'm bound to secrecy by uh, contracts and different things. But I mean, look, there, there'd be no um, secret. In the, if you wanted to get someone like Tony Robbins, you know, if you had a million dollars, you know, you, you, you'd... That's only a starting point. You need to convince them after that. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, so we we would be at that level, um, um, and 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 so forth. So, um, so we we would, yeah, we would. You know, a lot of the the numbers have been printed when we had Boris Johnson over, for example, that was printed in the British media and different things like that. So we're not afraid to invest, and we'll invest whatever it takes if we feel we can get a return on the other side. And you know, some people. It's like having an event. I mean, you know, you can charge 50 euro for an event or you can charge 1,000 euro for an event or 5,000. Uh, but it depends on what the quality of the event is. And if, if people feel the quality is there via the speaker, we're happy to pay more than uh, a million if if the case may be, you know. And how many checks have you written for a million plus? Uh, not, I have to say, no, not not too many, I suppose. Look, the difference between the, the, the premium rates that the speakers probably charge and uh, what we try and do is we try and get some we have to try and get some bit of a, a deal. So like if uh, there, there just wouldn't be anything in it for us if we weren't able to sort of negotiate different areas down and, um, and you know, uh, I suppose then there's a, there'd be another tranche of speakers who'd be uh, below that, another below that when it comes to a, a monetary amount. And very often somebody, maybe a, a lower tier, might be delighted to speak um, at, at a very small fee just to be on stage with one of the bigger names, if that makes sense, because they get a yeah. huge amount of value in that. Plus, our room could be packed with a lot of executives, business owners who have their own conferences and, and bring people in themselves. So they'll get a lot of business back that way then as well, you know. 
Okay. So Frankie, if I'm a, an interested attendee and I come to you and I say, Frankie, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about buying a ticket, sell it to me. Well, we're the world's number one leadership and self-empowerment summit. Uh, it's on our doorstep here in Dublin. Um, the level of delegate and company attending is absolutely sensational, right? Uh, the scarcest resource of all today, Kieran, is time. And what we do is we maximize the time for people there. We ask people who've achieved great success, if not mastery in their chosen careers, which could include uh, self-empowerment, getting yourself right first to authentic relationships, leadership team performance, business excellence, professional and wealth elevation. We ask them to give us the game-changing insights. If they're thrown up and their, uh, their, their last rights have been read to them and they have 30 minutes to give it or 40 minutes, what are those pieces of wisdom that you can give our people? So there's no surprise then that the level of delegate and company attending is sensational. There are the people who you would say least need uh, additional wisdom and they're the people who seem to be the greatest sponges for it. So uh, the networking uh, area as well is is amazing because the level, uh, as I said, of, of delegate there, the cross-section of different industries, you could have individuals, you'll have media people there, you'll have uh, fitness, sports, you'll have uh, senior execs uh, all over across the organizations. And I think what, what, what the osmosis that you have in that as well in a super highly charged environment uh, is amazing. So it's, 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 it's a training event ultimately, but it's done in a show-like fashion. So we'll have music, we'll have entertainment, and we see no reason why you can't be, uh, you know, learn in a highly charged environment like that. Have, 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 you, have I sold it to you yet? <laughs> you sold it to me a long time I, ago, Frankie. Yeah, I yeah. put you down for for two. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie, a lot of people will remember you uh, as a rugby player. Uh, you played for Munster and for Ireland with some distinction. Um, you finished in two thousand and nine. I think injury brought uh, a slightly premature end to your career. I'm just wondering how you found that transition from professional rugby to um, uh, private life, if you like, to to becoming a businessman, to finding yourself a, a new career. And you were in the first wave, I guess, of professional rugby players in Ireland. Things have moved on since then. So how, what kind of support did you get or, or how did you figure out what you wanted to do once the rugby was gone? Yeah, I suppose I retired in uh, 90, um, I suppose finished school in 94 and I was lucky enough to go to UCC and uh, I stayed there for three years. I got my economics degree and just around that time in 1995, the game became professional. So uh, I got a, I suppose, an amazing opportunity. I absolutely adored the game of rugby um, and I, I loved everything about it. So I managed to slip into the, the Munster system that way. As you said, it was, I suppose, the provincial, the European Cup and all those areas were in its infancy when you look back. And uh, yeah, had had a, had a wonderful journey with Munster. Uh, 14 years I was involved in Munster and obviously got lucky enough to play for Ireland. But within that then, I suppose... I got some, you know, while I was always drawn to kind of books like self-help books and personal development books and good autobiographies and sports autobiographies and things like that, I probably then got an inadvertent qualification in high performance and leadership and um, through, I suppose, playing with and against some of the best players in the world and uh, under some of the best coaches. So, for example, Declan Kidney was my teacher for six years in, in Prez and Cork. And he would have, I suppose, been my senior coach and, you know, Ireland under Ireland schools and Munster schools and all the way up. And then I, you know, got my first cap under the likes of Warren Gatland, 
you know, played with the likes of the Mick Galways, Paul O'Connells, Brian O'Driscolls, and then against maybe the Clive Woodward teams and the Martin Johnsons, and so some of the greatest players of all. So uh, when I retired then in 2009, uh, I was uh, unfortunately uh, with a view to, I suppose, finding, uh, putting my money into a pension, knowing that my career was going to finish early playing rugby. Uh, the whole kind of crash happened uh, at the time, so... Uh, it that probably looking back probably helped me to adjust quicker and faster. It didn't give me the luxury to kind of figure out for the next 24 months what I was going to do. So I went straight and I set up front row, uh, so and which has become front row speakers. So it's a speaker bureau and we deliver speakers into companies in areas of high performance, leadership and well-being. And but at the time I was doing a bit of everything. I was doing a bit of media and uh, I was uh, so I was working a bit with Sky and RTE. I was doing a bit of analysis and I was doing a bit of guest speaking myself. And I was, you know, anything really that would go my way. But um, in due course, then the, the front row speakers came. And then by delivering speakers across all industries with front row speakers, we had that light bulb moment into into Pendulum Summit. Into wouldn't it be fantastic to have one event once a year that wasn't for media or financial services or tech or um, uh, pharma, but for anybody in that space of maximizing potential in all aspects of their lives. And that's where Pendulum came from. So the transition was kind of, I have five kids as well, Kieran, right? Uh, and we, you know, we just, I suppose there wasn't enough time to think. We just, I just had to jump into everything and I took everything really that was coming my way. And uh, yeah, just, we had to be, I had to be hungry and I had to be, uh, and, and, yeah. and we did that, you know, it, it, it was tough. Yeah, it was a tough few years, but look, what, what's easy out there, you know? And I think, I actually think that a lot of professional players can, it can be a bad thing if they hang around and they, they think about things for too long. I think they need to get into something fast. And while there is definitely some similarities between business and sport, I think sometimes, sometimes some of the players, ex-players don't, take the proper lessons like do they get up at six o'clock in the morning and, and make those mm. uh, phone calls and emails that they would have been doing when they were you know up doing extra sessions at six o'clock in the morning type of thing. Frankie you mentioned that you, you put some money into property I know it didn't work out the crash came and a lot of people have put money into property and it didn't work out um, you, you went bankrupt after that didn't you how did you bounce back from that it must have been a really tough period. Yeah, well, it, you know, it was, I suppose, we did the best we could. We only had one creditor and the, and the creditor in question, I suppose, um, there was other things going on as well that, and, and you know, we, we felt, I felt that I was being hard done by and, and we stood up to it. And, uh, you know, the, the, the ironic thing is actually, the, like, the, it was a relatively low amount uh, of money, obviously very respectful, that they say 500,000, but we'd be, if if they just hung on, it'd be positive equity today, do you know what I mean? So, um, so that, that's the, I suppose that's the, that's the, 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 the sad thing really that it could have been gone, but look, it was what it was. And we were able to, uh, we were able to move on and, uh, you know, you just, we did the best we could and, uh, and, and moved on. So I suppose, look, I'd be, as I said, all the books and things I've read and all the, the audible books and like the different things I listen to, I suppose, when you end up in that situation yourself, you try and take the advice of the speakers that go to Pendulum Summit, who often talk about perseverance, resilience and bounce back. And, you know, that's that's what I would have done, you know, and and, and look, be, be grateful for what you have and the positives and, and, and health and that type of thing. So, you know, money, money, yes, it's important and it can be very helpful, but 
you know, health is more important and, and you can always make more money. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, it's important, but it's not the be all and end all. And then the pandemic comes along and obviously impacts a, a live event like Pendulum Summit. What was the financial hit from the pandemic for the event? Um, I, I haven't worked it out yet. <laughs> um, but no, we, we, I suppose we were lucky in some ways that we had the event in January 2020. So we got out of the blocks there. And so we would have missed the following year. And and now we're back again this year. So we're, we've probably missed, I suppose, a pendulum summit really over, over the whole thing. So we wouldn't have had much in 2021 really. Um, so, um, but look, you know, it is it is what it is. You take the good days with the bad days. And I suppose we're just, as opposed to kind of looking back now and what could have been or should have been, we, um, we, we, um, yeah, we basically like we, we, we just kind of get on with it now, you know what I mean? And look forward. And I suppose our sole focus now is on just to make this as good an event as it can be, you know. So we will, there's, there's no doubt, we, we definitely won't be a financial and economic success for us for this particular one. But at the same time, the important thing now is that we're showing leadership in our own industry and what we do. And we're, we're practicing what we preach and just to go out and bring in the best speakers. And success for me now would be that our delegates who attend either in person or live stream come away uh, buzzing and hoping to get that ripple effect that will um, that will you know help people and help the Irish economy going forward. Yeah, I think some people are trying to book tickets with you there. Just finally, uh, Frankie, we mentioned Steve Wozniak and Les Brown. Who, who's your other tip for a top speaker during Pendulum? Well, that's that's like asking me you now who my favourite uh, children are. You know what I mean? So. Uh, I know Paul O'Connell said to me before, he said, Sean Edwards, Frankie, when Paul spoke, he said, he's amazing. you got to get Sean. He's he's the first, I, I think, he's the first player ever, person ever to have two Grand Slams from two different countries. And his thing is just peak high performance. He's absolutely outstanding. Um, you'll see Chris DeBerg thrown in there. And Chris is actually going to talk about, you know, scaling global success. Actually, I mean, he's massive outside of Ireland and we've Paul McNeve interviewing him. That's going to be a fascinating interview. And yeah, we, we'll be hoping he'll play the odd tune here and there. So he's great. Um, there's others, you see, like Alistair Campbell is always going to be good and with everything that's going on at the moment, that's going to be massive. Um, but you have the likes of Les Brown. I mean, Les Brown, who I touched on earlier, is going to be amazing. He's something else. Uh, Sir Steve Redgrave, Renald Fines. This guy, Eric uh, Endmeads, he's um, he's a transformational guru, right? And I don't care what your industry or background is. We all have challenges with our fitness and and uh, our diet, right? And what do we do? This guy is outstanding in that he, he basically imparts wisdom and knowledge that can go against fad diets and fad nutrition and fitness programs. So he's going to be fascinating. He's going to do 30 minutes each day. Sharon Lecter, uh, co-author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, who most people have heard, amazing. So I've, I've probably gone through most of that stage, but they're all, like, there's Lady Kelly Beaton. She's going to be outstanding. She's going to create a disruption. And and people, what typically happens actually, Kieran and Lise, is people are all talking about Steve Wozniak and this going in, but next thing they end up going away, the speaker they hadn't heard of saying, oh my God, whatever about Wozniak. Kelly was amazing. She was this or that or, you know what I mean? So that's typically what happens, you know? Sure. Okay. Well, I think you did go through the whole lineup there, um, Frankie. So uh, certainly plenty for people to chew on. And we wish you well with uh, Pendulum Summit. Fantastic, Kieran. Uh, thank you very much. 
Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Frank Sheen and Cliff Taylor. The show was produced by Declan Conlon. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.